Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to give you actionable ideas to help elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader, or maybe you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor, share this episode with just one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. I had a fantastic conversation this episode with Kathy Ridge, who brings great experience in the for-profit world, the nonprofit world, and perhaps most importantly, in helping nonprofit organizations manage transition. She does this through her practice. It's called Leverage Resources, and she and her colleagues have helped lots of individual and organizations manage change. And that makes her the perfect person to dive into some of the difficult but important questions you are likely going to face as a nonprofit leader. Number one, when is it the right time to leave? Perhaps you are pondering that question right now, and Kathy has great insight as to the right and the wrong way to do it, if indeed that is the decision you make. And how do you balance your own personal feelings toward uh, your career and opportunities ahead with the organization that you've likely invested a great deal of time and energy? We also talk about the other side of this transition experience, that is from the board perspective. How do they better manage a transition? How do they evaluate interim leadership versus simply hiring the next leader of their nonprofit? And finally, we talk about some of the coaching that Kathy's done directly with nonprofit leaders who are wrestling with this difficult situation and question as to whether to leave and when it is the right time. Lots of great insight here and perhaps something that will help you further down the road to nonprofit leadership, or it may give you insight as to transitions that are occurring at your nonprofit right now. Either way, you're going to enjoy it. I hope you'll check out the show notes. This is episode number 97. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources mentioned as well as more information on Kathy and the great work she's doing through Leverage Resources. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. Utilize any of the social media channels so we can learn more about the good work you're doing. And don't forget to get on our email list so you can get free weekly resources, podcast episodes just like this one, and other material we are producing every month. Let us help your nonprofit. Maybe it's to build its strategic plan, re-engage that board of directors, or maybe we can help you on your journey to nonprofit leadership through coaching, training, or one of our unique mastermind programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kathy Ridge. Kathy, thank you for joining me on the path. Yeah, thanks for asking me, Patton. I'm excited for this conversation, Kathy. You have been in so much of the nonprofit space studying the key topics that affect nonprofit leaders, and I'm eager to uh, glean wisdom from you that I know our listeners will benefit from. So let's start with, because your journey is not just nonprofit, you had fantastic success in the corporate side. And so I wonder if you could share a little bit of how you came through that space and how it led you to leading Leverage Resources. Well, that story is interesting to me. I doubt it would be as interesting to anybody else. But <laughs> if they were looking at my LinkedIn profile, I think this could be true for all of us that you'd look at a resume and you could look at my resume and thought, well, that's a really well calculated career path. And look how all those steps sort of led to the next one. But living it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and it, it wasn't as well calculated as um, career books would probably tell you to operate on. But I operate on some different principles, perhaps. And um, I, right out of school, I started at Belk Store Services in their training and development department. 
as a corporate trainer. And I left that and after a couple of years and was a corporate trainer at what was then First Union National Bank, which merged with Wachovia, which since I've left has merged with Wells Fargo. Right. And while I was at the bank, um, and these things might be interesting as other people correct, you know, compare their careers. Um, I changed jobs, even though I was with the same employer. I was in different jobs every two years or so. Wow. And I was so lucky about that. And what the bank knew that I didn't know was that I was good at solving problems. I was good at studying and gathering research and finding good resources um, as well as good people and gathering data from appropriate resources and figuring out what to do with it. And one of the jobs I had at the bank, and I know you've heard me tell this, Patton, was that I was asked to head up an internal business consulting practice. Our board chair thought we were spending too much money on McKinsey and company and <laughs> right. those kind of companies. So why can't we do this and do it ourselves. And so we hired um, young people from what was then the big six accounting firms, McKinsey, Arthur Anderson was live back then, um, IBM Consulting, and those people who'd experienced different methodologies, techniques, and had different abilities put together our process and methodology for analyzing different business units. The only reason I pause on that one as long as I just did is surprisingly, that's the most transferable. Interesting. Of any of my bank experience to what Leverage does today. But after the Wachovia merger, and by then I was a executive vice president in the banking side. Um, and I really had loved that and loved most of what I was responsible for. But I started thinking it might be time for something different. There were when you got the nonprofit bug or some of the nonprofit bug, maybe some of the, some of the nonprofit bug. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was in a meeting and a friend of mine, a colleague came in and said, he was so relieved because he had just counted and he only had to work seven years and 11 more months until he could retire. Wow. And I was thinking, wait a minute, that's a lifetime. I mean, that's a long time. And I don't exactly. want to be somebody who starts counting it down like that. Um, so that was there. Plus, um, there, you know, I had I was thinking about all kinds of things and the role of money in your life. And I had read a book um, in my early 40s that was called Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer, who is a um, theologian. And I believe I'm right about this, a Quaker and a psychologist. And he taught the book literally means let your life speak to you instead of you trying to tell your life how it's going to be and what you intend to do with your life. Yep. Good advice. Listen really deeply to what your life has been trying to tell you all along. And so I can go into that more at some point, but I started realizing, I think my life has been telling me to be a teacher. Um, instead of to be what maybe I was pursuing at that time, an expert and an authority and maybe a author, author um, what's the word I want? Instead of authority, an authoritarian yeah, right. or something. Um, and that maybe closer to what my life was telling me was to be more of a teacher and, and less of an authority. Well, and you've, you've translated that literally, Kathy, haven't you, into why well, I'm struck by that you've taken so many of the business principles as a, uh, a teacher, an instructor, a trainer, and, and literally leverage now captures that, right? Because, in fact, you are a teacher of nonprofit organizations. 
Well, you too. I mean, one of the things I've been enjoying a lot is the occasions when you and I get to teach together. Um, Indeed. Teach nonprofit board members. But yeah, I have really enjoyed that. And of course, you, you're then not in an authoritarian position. You're, um, there is a helper, but aided by some expertise and abilities to read and discern and share and communicate. But um, at the time when all that was going on personally, um, I was having car rides home from work thinking, how long am I going to do this? Am I going to do it till retirement or not? And of course this would fund a pretty nice retirement if I did. Um, But I I started thinking about it and I decided I need some people to help me. And I wrote an email to some women friends, most of them at the bank and said, I'm going to ask y'all to be my board of advisors. Let's get together next week or two over wine. And I want to tell you, I'm thinking about leaving. If I could find something maybe in the arts and culture space, maybe in the education space. And one of them called me the day she got the email and said, I know what you should do. You should run community school of the arts because (laughs) they need, I'm on the board. They need a director and they need somebody with business experience. Um, And every conversation that I had about Community School of the Arts, it's now Arts Plus right? with the great leader Devlin McNeil running it. But um, every conversation I had about Community School of the Arts moved forward, was positive, kept sort of affirming my interest in it. Um, Whereas there have been other times in my life where I was pushing a rock heavier than me uphill or, you know, fighting against, you know, definitely no tailwinds, headwinds or something like that. And a lot of times those paths have turned out to be um, not what I should be doing. If it is, if that hard to advance something, not that everything is easy, but um, when it really feels like, boy, this just feels like everything is conspiring against me here. You know, maybe it is. It's telling you something, isn't it? I think, I think. And something that might be interesting to your listeners is, um, as I was thinking about whether to leave the bank and go into nonprofits, specifically community school, of the arts, I talked to a good friend of mine, um, And she said, this was her quote, she said, Kathy, it doesn't have to be this next move, doesn't have to be the thing, but do you think it's getting you closer to the thing? Yeah, good point. And it actually was, you know, it did exactly that. So after community school, I ran another nonprofit. Both of them had had some turnaround issues that had taught me a lot and I started thinking instead of looking oh I forgot to say this once those kind of turnaround issues and problems are solved and things get to a nice steady state I'm probably not as interested yeah that's just you know yourself right yeah when stuff was going on so I started thinking how could I put this experience Um, And this love of changing a lot. Um, And I decided to start Leverage, that we would use our experience, my experience, and then others running nonprofits to help prevent perhaps turnaround situations and to help strengthen the business model and the leadership of nonprofits. I love that. For our listeners that don't know, tell them what exactly does Leverage do, Kathy? How do you help nonprofits do just that? Um, We're pretty focused on two um, primary services, one ancillary service. And I've mentioned our purpose is to strengthen the organization business model and the leadership. We do a business assessment for nonprofits that could help them identify stability risk, growth 
opportunities as well as some shifts necessary for their strategic direction. And this is based on a lot of those processes and methods that I learned at the bank Absolutely. for doing business assessment. Um, and now it's based on what are the principles and foundations that we know must be in place for a nonprofit to grow and prosper. Um, and then the second thing we do is provide interim executives when there's a vacancy in a nonprofit, whether the executive retired or resigned or suddenly left for personal reasons or a change of career, or whether it was a board advised departure yep. of the executive. And so I have a small, very intentional cadre of people who have run nonprofits, encountered complex situations, are really good at identifying how to stabilize an organization during transition and to, while they're interims, help assess what's going to be needed next for the organization. Yeah, I cannot wait to unpack that, Kathy, because I think you and I both have talked before about, I think, some of the pitfalls of a rapid turnaround, as you put it, and even more mistakes or compounding of mistakes might occur. And that's what, again, I think you bring a unique service to these nonprofits that helps them in the long run. But before we go there, as you may have heard, I've asked a lot of my guests in this unique virtual environment, how are you managing <laughs> the, the interim services uh, from leverage? Or perhaps have you seen some best practices from some of the nonprofit leaders with which you work? I think um, the nonprofit community, and I was closest to our actual clients in the nonprofit community, probably um, impressed me more in how they responded to this. Uh, I think people would know, Patton, as we're talking together about this today, last year at this time, um, I was running an all-day workshop for Leverage Resources. And wow. we're, we're in the month of March recording this. But, exactly. Um, in the middle of that, it was a Friday, um, we were using Theater Charlotte as our location for the workshop. And they came in and said, we're going to have to close right after lunch. We got to close the facility, clean it and lock the doors. Um, so in, in a year and last year, I remember that next week after everything closed, how organizations, and I won't name them because not all your listeners are from Charlotte, but providing food services and clothing services and crisis services to the poor, as well as school supplies. I mean, when they shut schools down, all these social support agencies lost a delivery system. Exactly right. And within two weeks, they had created one using each other's trucks, warehouses, um, remote locations. So that an organization that had as its mission to deliver food and to remote sites to pick up was also delivering school supplies and in neighborhoods where people knew about it and were used to it. That amazed me how quickly they came up and built stuff like that. Adapted. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited. It definitely shows our sector is resilient, doesn't it, Kathy? That it really does. Despite this dramatic change. And again, you've helped organizations adapt to dramatic changes. Hopefully, no more pandemics in our future. But I'm struck by something you have told me before that I think a lot of nonprofits, particularly when a sudden change occurs, think, well, well, Kathy, certainly we just need to hurry up and rehire. How, how do you counsel a nonprofit organization? To, to slow down and consider interim services when I'm sure you run into somebody saying, well, why should we put it off? Why don't we just go ahead and rehire the executive director position? Well, that's such a wise question, Patton. I'm glad you're asking me because it happens the majority of the time that I would say a board or search committee is really anxious to get this done. And 
they're thinking we don't need an interim and they, they might <laughs> exactly. even say this isn't going to be open but a couple of months and from your experience and um doing search work you know that's not usually the case exactly um, unless you have the candidate i'm talking about the board already lined up and waiting in the wings um it's not a two-month process right so what's going to happen in the meantime um and they might think well we'll get um Susie and John to step up and add this to their jobs. And in nonprofits that I've managed and am aware of, Susie and John already have full-time jobs. So what's going to happen to their work if they step in and do more of the executive director work? Good point. Um, and then lastly, I think, and this is pretty convincing with boards. Are you sure you know what kind of person, what skills and experience you need now, because you hadn't filled this job in whatever, four years, seven years, 12 years. The community's changed. Funders have changed. The priorities of government have changed. And that means the skills and the job description you used last time probably need to change too. Yeah, even if that was a good person, right, Kathy? You might oh yeah. The exiting person might have been great, but not necessarily the person you need going forward. Right. Yeah. So um we've worked with people like you and other search firms to help share that. If the search firm's been hired, then they always take a part in identifying what's the profile of the job. But if we're in there as the interim we're sitting in the desk and so we know and we may say to you or whoever might be doing the search this is much more um of a management general manager job than it is a senior technician job right right um or it's much more of a fundraising job than what they were doing before or it is much more of a community partner and somebody who knows how to network, make connections, and create alliances. So the more we sit in that chair, the more obvious that becomes, which can keep them from making a selection um, mistake. Exactly. I think that's fascinating. And I think a lot of organizations, while understanding their urgency to transition, perhaps would miss some of those fundamentals that you not only provide interim service, but you're also assessing some of these behind the scenes elements that perhaps needed to be fixed as well. And, and I'm guessing, Kathy, you set the stage for the eventual executive director to come in and not have so many fires to put out. Is that a fair statement? That's our whole purpose as an interim is for the next person to be highly successful as soon as possible. Right. It's not for us to be successful as the interim. It's what needs to be cleaned up and straightened out before they get here so that they can take off. And we've had um, permanent execs who've taken the job after we were interim who've told us, your being here shortened my learning curve by months. Right. Um, and we leave them with here 11 things or something you really need to focus on. Yeah. but. We also take on some things that might not be popular for the new exec to do. Um, and certainly one of them that is the easiest to understand, but the simplest um, was when I was interim exec somewhere at an organization that closed every holiday and closed, you know, on Thanksgiving for two days and closed the week between Christmas and New Year's. And the board had long recognized and the community that doesn't work for the clients you serve. Right. Um, because some of them, you know, could come more conveniently during those holidays, during those holidays. So that's something we did and implemented the change that wasn't popular with <laughs> right. the staff probably, but right. you don't want the new person to come in and do that as one of their first acts of office. Great example. Um, 
but you can make some of those kind of unpopular decisions, but are ultimately good for the long-term benefit. But Pat, of let me ask you from your perspective, um, in search work, do you run into this same thing about they want to fill the job really quickly? And what about if they, cause I've run into this before and never sure how to respond if they are preparing to launch a capital campaign or something like that, and they feel like that's the reason they got to hurry up and get somebody in this job. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's a limited view. And as you do through your interim services, you in essence force the organization to step back and analyze. And if they're kind of too narrowly focused on our capital campaign, hurry up and hire. But obviously in the fundraising game, it's a relationship uh, basis for which success occurs. So if you get a bad fit, then your campaign is going to suffer as well. So I just, I would caution as you do to rushing anything, especially in a senior leadership position. And we focus just on some of the development positions primarily in the Charlotte region. But when we do, um, we're just very attuned to that fit element and not speed. But I get it. No organization wants to sit with their fundraising position idle for very long, nor do they, as you know, want to sit with their executive director position idle. But um, short-term thinking, I think, can create long-term problems, and that's what we, we need to avoid. Well, that's good to hear, especially you. from you. Well, I, I hope it, it, it makes sense, but I know a lot of organizations are pondering these kind of issues, and I'm glad our conversation may get their wheels turning. And in fact, one of the headlines you and I'll talk about in this episode, while you have great expertise and helped many organizations through transitions, some more difficult than others, frankly, depending on what you arrive uh, when you get there, but also, Kathy, you found a niche and I think with what I would describe as the lonely world sometimes of the executive director mm -hmm. um, when they are starting to ponder leaving. And in fact, this episode we've titled, When Is It Time to Leave? But I'm curious, Kathy, talk about how was it many conversations with executive directors who I guess confided in you and said, Kathy, I, I think it's time, but I'm not sure. And maybe talk about how you first got into that concept for which you're now helping uh, leaders around that topic? Oh, that's a great question also. Um, I guess when the financial crisis um, of 2008 um, really hit nonprofits around 2010 happened, um, all of us, you also, Patton, experienced um, a lot of worry from boards and stuff that our executive director might leave now. Um, and yet our experience was they didn't, but they left after that crisis was over. Right. And I, I wonder about that. And what it, what I learned from it was if they had been thinking about, you know, there were all these predictions back then that X number of nonprofit leaders are going to hit 65 and therefore some high percentage of them will leave, but they didn't leave. Right. But, but they did leave a couple of years later. And I think that speaks to our sector's loyalty and commitment. They're not going to leave when things are awful. Good point. They're, they're going to stay there and help shovel it out, but yep. they might leave right after that. And we saw a big, um, influx of vacancies after that and seeing and you and I have both done work um, with Arts and Science Council and seen when these vacancies come up and we were doing training with them how some of the organizations were really um, feeling ripped apart by the leader being gone um, and not just Arts and Science but other organizations that it was, and, and then we also experienced, and we were in the interim exec business at that time, um, as we are now, um, changes in leadership every couple of years, which sort of signaled they might not be getting the hire exactly right. And it's not that they hired the wrong person or a bad person. It was really more what I mentioned earlier. They weren't sure about what they needed. So, Great point what they recruited for and hired for wasn't what the new current environment post that financial 
um, downturn was being called for. So all of that um, sort of led me to think we've got to help nonprofit leaders, but I mean the people in the jobs think about how can they best leave their organization. Um, I mean, I could chuckle about this some when I've left nonprofit organizations. I tried to give um, one of them a year's notice. And right. t- 10 months later, they hadn't done anything. Yeah, that's, you know, so it's like, um, and then when you really leave, they're sort of like, but I thought you loved us. Yeah. That, well, I was going to ask you about the guilt. <laughs> Is there, there's a guilt trip effect, isn't there? If I'm particularly, if I've been passionate or maybe even the founder that if I leave, I, I do feel guilty. And I'm guessing that's how you've counseled some of these folks, Kathy, that, or how do you help them get through the guilt, especially if it is time to leave, yet they feel that pressure to stay? Well, uh, we actually, um, at Leverage, started a workshop series. It's three separate workshops, but all put together in one package about how to identify if you're ready to leave and if the organization um, is ready for you to leave and how to get you and the organization ready. And hopefully, ideally, in all these books you'd read about succession planning, I'll tell you things like nonprofit execs should give two to three years. I've never seen that happen. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be nice, but... Unlikely. And and one of the reasons it doesn't happen is we as executive directors are afraid to mention it too soon because what if we change our mind? Yeah, good point. Or what if what we have in mind for our future doesn't really come about to be? So we don't tell as soon as we start having those kind of nagging thoughts. And we even found out the first time we did this workshop, which is... Um, closed to only five or six people at a time, that they were worried about meeting together in a workshop about this. And so we had everybody, including the three trainers um, and the six participants, sign non-disclosure agreements that said nobody will talk. Understandable. Um, Or who will name who. That's not going to happen. Yep. And I think they all relaxed after the very first session. But, you know, I think that's true for all of us. Why do you want to tell people before you have a sure plan? And a sure plan can take a while. So one of the things we do is offer that three-part workshop. I have two excellent trainers. Um, One is a retired Episcopal priest who helps other priest decide how and when to leave a congregation right and there are a lot of parallels there what you just mentioned Patton about our executive directors feeling loyal and committed and don't want to leave anybody in the lurch that pastors and priests feel that way too I can imagine and so she has done that kind of planning with them. And the other one is a former CEO of the YMCA who has helped otherwise throughout the country, other YMCAs throughout the country with leadership and succession issues. So they've got a lot of experience helping interim, I mean, helping, excuse me, executive directors reflect and think about is this the right time for me and how do I know and when should I tell um yeah go ahead no sorry to interrupt you yeah and and again understanding the complexity of each individual situation is there any general advice you found in those discussions that might help a listener who's thinking exactly that Kathy I in my gut, I think it's time to go, but I'm not sure. How do you even unpack something like that? Well, as you and I have talked, Patton, um, nonprofits need really strong leaders. And I don't want to encourage anybody to leave um, unless they're sure it's what's best for them and that the organization will be okay. So one of the things that our retired Episcopal priest ask people, are you 
um, how do you know if you are ready to leave or if you're just tired? Right. You need a break, (laughs) maybe. Yeah. And um, so we talk about, are you unhappy most of every day? Because being unhappy 20 or 30% of the time could be seasonal, could be COVID-related, could be current crisis-related or current board chair-related. Yeah, good point. And, and, and helping them use those kind of questions to filter through, is this something that's going to pass or is this a, a condition? And then another challenge I like to give them is, is there something you could change in your job? that would better satisfy you. And uh, other executive directors gave me these ideas. I had one who was thinking about retiring because she really wanted to spend more time at the beach and it didn't suit her organization for her to do that, um, nor her personally, um, financially. And so she decided to ask ask her board for Friday afternoons off. Interesting. A flexible schedule in essence, right? Yeah. And once she got those Friday afternoons off, she could keep going another two or three years. Um, And then one board, one um, executive director really um, disliked the monthly board meetings and the prep around those particularly, and just um, found that really, really stressful. And since it happened every month, the preparation, you know, happens more than just once a month. She really began thinking about whether she should leave or not. And she came up with the idea, her board member start board meeting started at noon, that she would work at home those days. Interesting. And get herself in the mindset, prepared, beyond prepared about agenda, but thinking more about how to discuss, ask for engagement, um, solicit opinions in those board meetings. And she probably still, and of course now all of us are working at home, but this was before then where she felt like she had to be in the office to make sure the copies were getting taken care of and all that. But um, she said it helped her so much to do that that it changed how she felt about board meetings. So those are a couple of things I would use to challenge people with. I I would say, and this may not seem like career advice, but one of, and you heard some of this in my story, some of the questions we encourage them to ask themselves are about their personal values and what are those telling you to do? Yeah. Kind of listening. Like you said, Parker Palmer advises in a way, right? That you are, you listening to those things? Exactly. Exactly. So if you have value conflicts with what you're doing, um, that's a bit more serious than something that you have to do that you don't enjoy. I like how you, I like the discernment there of, of Kathy stepping back and saying, all right, is my frustration right now maybe isolated to an aspect that can be fixed? Or I guess your point is if the distinction, however, is values-based, that might be a signal that indeed it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we really do want to help them think about that um, and have you know workshops and Uh, resources that we suggest they think about and the retired Episcopal priest does a great job of helping them think through that and discern because that even gets to be a closer level of detail is a core value of yours being made possible for you to fulfill by this job right so even though the job may not be what fulfills you is it allowing you yeah, to do something good, yeah such a good point and well and Kathy isn't also incumbent upon the board and of course there's transition in a board which makes it hard for an executive director to have a consistent relationship there but I wonder if if our boards could do a better job of engaging in a dialogue a non-threatening dialogue with the executive director 
and be able to talk long term. But I guess your point is a lot of executive directors don't feel like they have a comfortable dialogue to get into that. Is that I think fair? you're right. Yes, it is. And so I think you would suggest this too, Patton, is if we could suggest that every board do succession planning. Indeed. And I've had some boards say, well, we just hired ours 10 months ago. Well, yeah, but what if there's a health crisis yes. or, or what if something else happens? I mean, you can have a a short-term succession plan. How would we bridge the gap until they could come back to work? But, you know, what if they go on jeopardy and win a million dollars? It could be a positive opportunity. Right? It could be. So doing succession planning frequently, reviewing it every three years, um, could give you the chance to have these kind of discussions and maybe not in front of a board of 20 people, but to have somebody on the board that the executive director feels like they could say, not as soon as the notion hits, but that's one of the things we talk about in the workshop is no, no, no. Don't tell them because you had a bad day yesterday. I'm out of here. Right. Exactly. Um, So think it through then, but when you know, I'm really thinking there's going to be some change coming up. And I don't know when. Um, And it's not going to be next month, but it could be next year. Exactly right. But it it would take the dramatic suddenness of that if there was a dialogue. And in fact, I just think that's a good principle for nonprofit leaders at any level. If you are are supervising others, um, acknowledge that they have aspirations. It's not a reflection on you if they want to move on someday. But I wonder if a lot of the turnover in nonprofit is uh, as a result of we're not having that conversation. And if the board and executive director would have that in a comfortable way, it might well keep everybody intact longer. I think so. And I think, uh, and I'd be interested in your opinion about this. I think not having really authentic conversations about performance yes can lead to this also because it can lead to lead to something unspoken that continues frustrating the board and then the executive director starts to feel their frustration and they get frustrated and then you know into that year, the executive decides, I'm out of here. I'm going to something new where I feel more supported and recognized. But if that had been openly discussed with the same agenda that you said, Patton, this is just what happens. Nobody's going to score all A's all the time. And particularly if you have asked the executive director to do something they aren't skilled to do. So well put. And otherwise, these kind of things simmer, don't they? And just create not only a a disgruntled employee or a departing employee, but frankly, you create a a culture that's not good in the long run for others. And so I'm just glad you're encouraging that kind of dialogue. And I have to ask you, Kathy, because I think your workshop is fascinating and necessary. What's your plans for the future? Do you think there is still a demand for it? And perhaps you'll continue to offer it. Oh, we are going to offer it. In um, the three sessions this year will be May, June, and probably the end of August. Yeah, Um, excellent. I think in May, it'll still have to be virtual, um, even though it's just five or six people. But, um, you know, who knows? Certainly by August, I hope they could meet in person. And um, maybe before then. So I I definitely think there's a need. I'm I'm sure there is. And of course, I think we have listeners from all over the place who may be fascinated. So perhaps they could connect with you. And if they're not in the region, it may be something you could help them in other ways virtually. Because I I am convinced that is an issue. A lot of nonprofit leaders who bring such passion to their organizations, but I think you said it well, they're torn between the guilt of leaving and, and of course the personal issues that they bring to happiness. And so I'm glad you're giving them a means to evaluate. Is it something that's temporary or just a portion of their job or is it, you know, a larger issue, but 
Kathy, this is fantastic on every level, I, I guess. Let you, me say, if oh, somebody sure. was interested, yeah, they could go to our website and use our contact form and just let me know you're interested. Indeed. And then we'll set the dates based on what works for all of the five or six participants. I suppose if you're virtual, then there's someone could participate if they're even further away, right? Correct. In the round yeah. that is virtual. So yeah. I think we might, in fact, get some interested uh, listeners to uh, apply or consider, and we'll put it in the show notes. But Kathy, is there anything else? You talk to a lot of current and aspiring nonprofit leaders. Is there any other advice you'd offer them if they're pondering getting into this space? Yeah, if they aren't in the space of nonprofit land and they're thinking about it, I really think, and I'd love your thoughts on this too, Patton, finding out more before you start calling nonprofit execs or um, board chairs or board members is so appreciated. When, and I've had somebody that was a corporate leader call and tell me they were really interested in being a nonprofit leader and they weren't going to be like these executive directors who sat in front of their computer all day. And I said, well, that's what they do at night. They don't, <laughs> right. they're, exactly. not, they're not sitting at their desk all day long. Um, but, you know, when you, when you talk to somebody who just has no clue but has decided they want to give back and change career paths. There are a lot of things you could read and find on websites that would start to give you clues. And back to this, how does that align with your values? Um, Great point. Yeah, you're going to work as hard. You're going to have problems that are as complex or more without the number of staff that you might have surrounding you in corporate or the salary. Yeah. And, and again, you and I, it's not to question that these are well-intentioned people, but you're Absolutely. right. Do your homework before you just jump from your current job into nonprofit thinking it is something that perhaps you don't fully understand. So yeah, excellent advice, Kathy, as you have provided throughout our conversation. Um, as you know, every guest, I ask for a parting gift uh, you've given uh, at least one good book already. Might you have another that you could offer or uh, what would you offer in terms of a reading recommendation? You know, um, I, I was looking at my bookshelf. And <laughs> Lots I of thought, choices there, right? Yeah, but I mean, most of them are for consulting practitioners. So they would be deep dives into succession planning or something that most readers wouldn't be that interested in. But sure. one of the books I saw that I do refer to a lot as a practitioner that could be helpful is that old Transitions by William Bridges book. Nice. Because it talks about organization transitions, but also personal transitions. That it seems very appropriate for our conversation today, doesn't it, Kathy? Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for that and uh, several resources that we will lift up in the show notes around this episode. And I do encourage our listeners to check out Leverage because I think not only are you providing unique services in terms of interim work, but the leadership uh, training and obviously in particular, this unique uh, confidential training you offer to nonprofit leaders pondering you know, a departure. You might also have some words of wisdom too, right? Anything else you'd like to leave yeah, our listeners with? These are not my words of wisdom, but something that continues to inspire me by Frederick Beekner. And I think this, I'm inspired by these words because of the executive directors I know who exemplify this. Right. Um, but he says, neither the hair shirt or the soft birth will do. We're called to the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And Love I think that. for many people in nonprofit careers, that's been true. Again, Kathy, thank you. Wonderful uh, food for thought and words of wisdom. Where can people find out more about you, Kathy, and the great work you're doing? Well, thank you so much. Um, of course, on our website, which is www.leverage.com, 
um, .org, leverage is spelled funny, L-E-V-R-I-D-G-E, .org. And um, I look forward to hearing from folks and seeing some of them possibly in one of the workshops coming up. That's fantastic. We will indeed link both the website and other specific resources so folks can find out more and how to sign up as those things emerge. So, Kathy, thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you, Pat. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kathy as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey, especially if a transition is on the horizon and help your organization manage transitions that we all are going to have to deal with. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com. You can find out more about Kathy, her colleagues at Leverage, and many of the resources they are providing through workshops and other training material. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to Apple, Spotify, and all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. You know, if you like this episode, you'll also enjoy learning more about an organization Kathy did indeed lead herself. It's called Arts Plus, and episode number 48 is a wonderful feature on the current leader of Arts Plus, and her name is Devlin McNeil. Once again, thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.